Is the World on Fire? Hello, y'all. You're listening to Is the World on Fire, a podcast made by students and alumni at the Kroc School of Peace Studies at the University of San Diego. My name is McCoy. And I'm Taya. And we're excited to bring you a special two-part series interviewing women who've been selected for the 2022 to 2023 Women Peacemakers Fellowship at the Kroc Institute. Our fellows are joining us from Jamaica, Honduras, and Mexico to share their unique perspectives on what it takes to build peace in the Americas. Welcome to part one of our special Women's Peacemaker series, where we interview Natisia Bohard Singh, a lawyer and advocate for reparatory justice, gender-based violence, and human rights internationally and in Jamaica. Listen in to this incredible episode where we discuss intersections of racial and gender inequalities in legal systems, what peace means, and making promises to yourself. Thank you so much, Leticia, for coming here. Uh, Really excited to have you and all the other women peacemaker fellows out (laughs) here. So we're going to start off the same way we start off every episode of our podcast. Is the world on fire? And if so, what fires are you attempting to put out? Thank you so much for having me. And indeed, my sister fellows, we really appreciate all platforms that we can get to spread our message and to talk about our work. Mm -hmm. So it's really exciting to be here. Yes, the world is on fire. (laughs) Very much so. And depending on how we want to look at it, we will probably talk about the degrees of fire that we, we are experiencing. But of course, in an age of war, Some of us as historians like myself, we only read about major wars in history. In recent times, we've seen flare-ups, but Mm -hmm. what's happening in the world right now is really crazy. So if that's the definition of fire, then definitely. In our own corners of the world, we have troubles, we have violence, we have discrimination, we have all the other fires. And I, and I can say that because mm-hmm. it's the destruction when you think about fire. It's the destruction and the usefulness of the fire. So let's not, let's not. It inspires. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. it also, it's what it brings when it comes and clear its path. So I want to contextualize. So if we have nations that are still killing each other in the name of whatever it is, whether it may be religion, whether it may be political ideologies, Mm -hmm. whether it may be my beliefs of how equal you are, whether it may be enslaving another population because of their human or quote-unquote non-human or subhuman status, then that's a problem. And in my line of work, problem exists in the form of discrimination, especially populations that are vulnerable, marginalization. And which populations for you specifically are you working with? Yeah, so I am an an attorney. Mm. In Jamaica, we say attorney, but you say lawyers. Yeah, yeah. I'm a lawyer by practice, but Uh I also consider myself to be a human rights advocate activist. Absolutely. And in so doing, merging the law, looking at rights-based approaches to the work, you come across not just the legal violations that you have to go into the courts about, but also violations that will then need more than one foes 
to deal with the solution. So it, it means advocating, it means lobbying, it means getting the person to a position they would have been in had the violation not occurred, mm-hmm. getting the individual in the situation they would have been in had whatever been breached not occurred. So it's right. that kind of re-engaging and dealing with rights in a way that really enables citizens to live the, the best quality of life. So yes, vulnerable population, people living with HIV, um, mm-hmm. women and girls, yes, anyone who really at the end of the day are so affected and cannot really fight for themselves because they may not know the avenues to get redress or they may not be able to get redress based on other factors. Mm-hmm. You're one of the women peacemaker fellows. Yes. And so I'd I'd love to know how gender, if at all, affects the fires that you're trying to put out and the work that you're trying to do. Absolutely. And I always say that with gender, you meet at the intersection of everything. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thrust of it. And so I myself have been directly involved in gender work. Before we talk about the intersecting realities, I have headed a woman's organization started out in the 70s as a woman-focused organization because mm-hmm. of how women and girls were were dealt with in society, how women were marginalized or provisions were not made. For example, I talk about usually the Millennium Development Goals and the thrust in those days to get women into employment, more women in political participation, more women in schools. As we come into the sustainable development goals, we see that the needs of women and girls are still vital and important because Mm. of some of the societies that they live in. So, of course, in a country like Jamaica, with a predominantly black population, the Mm -hmm. issues are going to be, yes, in general, but they're going to be specific to that population. Nowadays, we are on the thrust of creating equal spaces Mm. and looking through gender lenses because we realize that. It's not just about what affects our women and girls, but other gender related issues. So that is kind of the thrust. And in doing that work, we see that gender has to be a part of the narrative. It really has to to get that equal rights, justice and dignity that we talk about in human rights. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm really interested in the work um, that you talk about with the Rastafari community yes. in Jamaica, um, how your work specifically in Rastafari culture is gender involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second part of the question, which is a little different and like off off topic, but mm-hmm. I'm very interested in how uh, the war on drugs at all is influenced in sort of your work in the Rastafari community as well, because I know that mm-hmm. it's very criminalized given the international Right. But but I guess Presence. let's not but I'd say let's not compound it because oh, yeah, I think, absolutely. because I think that over the years mm-hmm. what the Jamaican government used to to see as drugs, mm-hmm. which is the ganja in reference, and I'm not a specialist in that area. For sure. Neither is my work concentrated mm-hmm. when we talk about Rastafari in that area. Absolutely. So I want to make that clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The area that I'm concerned about, like all the other areas of my work, is mm. the not the sacramental usage of ganja. That's a part of the holistic values and beliefs of Rastafari. My mm-hmm. work is in the rights of Rastafari Absolutely. to their identity, mm-hmm. to their 
cultural practices, ganja forms part of that cultural practice. And over the years, the Rastafari has not made, how do I put this? They have not denied that. Mm-mm. So they have used it freely. Absolutely. They have been marginalized for the use of it. And it's not, it's not a private record. A lot of Rastafari's have been thrown in jail for the use of ganja because it is a drug and on paper it, and across jurisdiction. So, but, but that's only a portion of that. As a lawyer, I tend to follow the letters of the law. Absolutely. So I have never really been involved in, sure. in, in that area of the, the struggle for Rastafari, but mm-hmm. I have been, and in recent times, been involved in advocacy. And I'm trying to make sure that I contextualize it. Absolutely. For one, I'm from a Rastafari background. My mother is uh-huh. a Rastafari. And I keep saying Rastafari Mm-mm. because that's the, the name. Absolutely. If people say Rastafari, Jan, and, and we <laughs> go with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm honoring the community. And they, they call themselves Rastafari. Okay. And so Rastafari, even today, and even recently, there was a court case that went in front. I think it went to a, a high court mm-hmm. where... Today, children of Rastafari are still being challenged because of their hair. That's the big issue. Mm -hmm. And the one that as somebody who has been selected just like this fellowship and we have particular goals of this fellowship and we and I'm here working towards those goals. I was also selected as a UN fellow for people of African descent. Mm-hmm. And within that context of being a UN fellow for people of African descent is the mandate of dealing with issues that may not on the face of it be racial discrimination. Yeah. But because you're learned and because you understand that there are direct and indirect discrimination against persons you are easily able to identify them. So in predominantly black population like Jamaica and some of the other Caribbean islands, we have issues surrounding colorism. Mm. We have issues surrounding classism. We have issues surrounding straight out racism because you have people who are from different racial features. These are all issues. The, the issues of the Rastafari community Given that they have contributed so much to the cultural landscape of the country, some Rastafari have issues with the fact that they don't feel like they are given their due. These are not my opinions. Mm, these are these are things that are put in documents to the UN. Mm. As we speak, the UN is having a Committee on the Elimination of Racism meeting. Don't know if it's finished yet, but certainly in this month. And some of these things, if you go on the website, the third website, there's a report from Jamaica. I assisted with that report. I can claim that because Mm -hmm. those are facts. I assisted because we want governments to pay attention to the things that we we know governments should pay attention to. Mm -hmm. That's a part of the negotiation process. Putting things on paper to have bodies intervene, to say to governments that, we know you may not be doing this deliberately. We know you may also be busy and you may not know all that's happening. So we as actors on the ground are saying to you that maybe you should take a look at this. This is how the activism looks. Absolutely. And talking about that, 
you talk about sort of the structural racism that exists in that system and the discrimination that takes place. I'm interested to know what you think about more traditional modes of governance that have historically happened versus like current modes of governance that are sort of like happening in the context, right? And you're a legal advocate, um, which to me gives you a really interesting perspective on sort of (laughs) like- Some may say. (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting. Some may say. Yeah, right. You have maybe have to go through a couple of years of college more to get there, but (laughs) um, a very interesting perspective on those power imbalances that can exist in those more legal structures that may be inherent to systems Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that currently exist contemporarily, like governance structures Mm -hmm. um, that you have to work with through and what could have pre-colonialism probably been like more traditional modes of governance. Do you think that those power imbalances would still exist and those those sort of racist forms of discrimination would still exist? Or? The Caribbean, let's, oh, yeah. let's say this. Yeah. The Caribbean was built out of colonialism For sure. and slavery. There were first people on the lands who had their modes of governance and systems and equal and respectable. The history of the Caribbean and in, and in specific terms, Jamaica, is a is a colonial history, colonial mm. and slavery history. Jamaica was captured by the British people, 1655. Before that, there was a Spanish. The Spanish came, and I'm I'm just running through this quickly yeah, to yeah. get to the place <laughs> as quick as you can, because right? the Spanish came with their own laws and practices, and then the English came. Part of that governance structure, part mm. of the mode of governing people who were taken from their lands who would have had their own tribal ways of dealing and Mm -hmm. and structures, bringing them into a strange land and then governing in a way that did not suit their culture, did not suit their their belief system. In itself, that was problematic. And then after emancipation, so let's talk for Jamaica for that example now, in 1838, Mm -hmm. the formerly enslaved persons were then made to be following structures and rules and development packages that were not dealing with their specific needs Mm -hmm. as persons who left and would not have known where they're coming from because it was hundreds of years of enslavement, generation of generation, coming into now having to deal with remnants of colonialism, saving Mm -hmm. law clauses, which tells you that you cannot practice, you cannot love who you want to love. You cannot marry who you want to marry. If ye, abortion issues are ripe for, for, for discussion under those laws and have very archaic way of looking of, uh, on the lives of the formerly enslaved people. That's within self is a problem. Mm-hmm. So maybe the governance structure of the day and how politicians go about dealing with the lives of the people they now serve, it may very well not be intentional, Mm -hmm. some of it, because the institutions were not of the same people on the ground. The blacks were never in charge. Mm -hmm. That's, That's the beginning story. So the parliamentarians were there, I must say, even though sometimes we as activists and advocates are saying to them, change this, do that. We also understand with a history context that we have to change the mindset. Right. As Bob Marley said, and before him, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. Uh-huh. It's going to be that the emancipation of, from mental slavery takes place along with the chains that were broken in 1838. 
And persons like myself have been having now to do a holistic work on all fronts because the, the problems are complicated. I just had a, a webinar and the discussion was about the black skin. Hmm. I had to have a whole panel on a discussion about the black skin because in the week leading up to emancipation, a popular talk show person likened persons in a joke to monkeys. Wow. A black Jamaican who should know better. So I'm saying mm-hmm. part of the ongoing challenge we have is while we change laws, while we change policy, mindset has to change. So mm-hmm. if we change the law tomorrow on the rights of LGBT people, we're still going to have to do work to change the mindset so that we can reduce stigma and discrimination. Yeah. How do we make that change? How do we make that mindset change? Well, we need more socially conscious activists. Mm-hmm. We do. It, it, it can't be that you have a handful of people to go to all the time. Right. It, it cannot be. It may look like a super exclusive group, mm-hmm. but we need more practitioners to, to utilize rights-based approaches. I've had criticism because I am good at advocacy. Mm-hmm. I could easily go into the courts and be a criminal defender and make a lot of money and be in my corner, you know, right. and that's, and that would be one way of defending people. Mm-hmm. And I've had criticisms because I chose to research the law and look at what doesn't work and what works and look at the constitution and write to and and find jobs in activism where I not only can utilize what I learned in law school, but also change lives as I do it. As much as it looks fancy, Mm. we need more people. Yeah, We need more hands on deck across the world. Because as much as we are here outing the fire, we'd call it in Jamaica, yeah. the fire is huge mm-hmm. and not concentrated just in my neck of the woods. Now we're doing analogies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but it's everywhere and in all the corners. And so if we have activists here really underground and also using it as a life's work without being the exception. Mm-hmm. But the rule, yeah. I believe it would, it would be something. Interesting. And I'm also interested how you feel in the context of that, um, the idea of sort of like this more international solidarity between activists and then like, like problems staying where, you know, Mm-hmm. In international law, they would say like where they're supposed to, right? Or not in international right. law, but in some transitional justice circles, maybe. Right. right? I'm a beneficiary of international solidarity. solidarity. Yeah. I, I am being a part of this fellowship, mm-hmm. the fellowship before this. For me, why I know that four women coming together is, and, and if we do it year after year, and if this is replicated, if, mm-hmm. why I know that this is a dream for the cause is because imagine when I am in Jamaica, I have um, Dolores in 
Mexico. Mm-hmm. I have Juanita in Bolivia. I have Tanya in Honduras. And we are able to connect what we're doing. We're able to say, that's what worked in Mexico. It may be different because of geography and stuff, but let's try this in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. That's what it's, Dolores is working on. Let's see if we can replicate it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the kind of thing, because that's what we're currently doing with the, with the fellowship the different fellowships, especially the, inter, the, the anti-racism fellowship that the UN is doing is because of the best practices. Mm-hmm. I can pick up my phone and I can call my fellows in Canada and I can say the bill that was passed there, how, how did they lobby? Mm-hmm. And then I can re- replicate. Mm-hmm. We strengthen each other. And this is what I believe the, the Peacemaker Fellowship and with a, with peace in our name, mm. trust it 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 is even better. Absolutely. Just knowing that we are promoting peace as the first solution, mm-hmm. and then we can work from there. Absolutely. Yes. Is there a dichotomy or maybe a, a divide between the peace community here and people that advocate for peace here? Not just like in San Diego, but like Mm -hmm. that you've seen in like the U.S. general and then like other parts of the world. Like, uh, is there a difference between sort of like the way they think like in the U.N. versus like, you know, student activists over Mm. here or activists on the ground elsewhere? And and if so, like, what do you think we can do to bridge those divides? Because that's kind of how we have to build peace. Right. But peace will look different. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so we have to start there because... Mm -hmm. What gives me peace in my country may, may be something that is taken for granted mm. somewhere else. In the advocacy branches, the things persons want to survive may very well look different from what others want to survive. I may want to be, my peace may be somebody respecting me wearing my hair out mm. and I and don't have to cover my hair. Yeah. That and, and once I get that, that's what stops the discord. Right. My piece may be that my children should be should go to school without a teacher telling them to comb their hair or cut their hair or that. Mm-hmm. And in other parts, the piece may very well look like someone who wants to live to see age 30. Mm. And may need government to intervene or actors to intervene to do negotiation around the table to allow that to happen. Yeah. Does it mean that my piece, because it's not at a certain level or because it's asking for different things, does it mean that it's, it's, it's less than what mm-hmm. you consider peace and peace building? One of my colleagues, she, I recall she said, I didn't know I was doing peace building work. Because when you look at what it takes in certain definitions and, 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 and in certain places, you would be doing work enhancing the lives of people every day. You would be doing work bridging gaps and divides. You would be doing work doing the most 
mm. as we like to say in Jamaica, and not know that you're doing something that will that affects change and brings harmony. Mm-hmm. So again, it's gonna be on how we look at peace building and what we hope to achieve and what we hope to remedy that will give it the the kind of nod for me and I, and I believe equally once we set out for unity solidarity and for persons to enjoy their right to be human mm. that is enough for me that's beautiful i think that's a great place uh to send out my my last little question to you or my last <laughs> little thought which is just um let everyone know, you know, what, what to look for next. If there's anything, what, uh, what do we see on the horizon for Natisia? Oh. <laughs> well, I, I'm this human being who is open to life mm. in, in its fullest. I have chosen my path and that's the path of the cause for human rights, justice, dignity mm. for all people. And so wherever that takes me, I am open to going. I have noticed that when I look at my CV, which is what people use to to count your accomplishments, I may be pleased with what I have done so far, Mm -hmm. but it's not the sum total of my life as a person on this earth. So I'm always going to be open to the next thing that makes me feel fulfilled as a whole person. It could be a new job. It could be marriage. It could be children, more children. (laughs) (laughs) It could be so many things, but I know that I will be guided by that fundamental promise of, of always doing what's best for me. And that's a promise from myself to myself. So whatever that looks like in practice is is where I'm heading. That's a great answer. Thank you so much. Before you go, we want to hear from you. Share your questions, stories, or ideas on the fires you see in today's world. Contact us on Instagram at crockschool or via email at istheworldonfire at gmail.com. And let us know, what is your fire? Today's episode was produced by Taya Clement, Franco Castro Escobar, with special help from Scott Lundergan and Ryan Murphy. It was edited by Jim O'Connell, with original music by Victor Daniel Castro Escobar. Promotion is made possible by Kevin Dobbins, Tony Campos, Grayson Walker, and Andrew Biros. We'd also like to offer up a special thanks to the Dean of the Croc School, Dr. Patricia Marquez. If you enjoyed this episode, please stay tuned for part two of our Women Peacemaker series, where we will talk to Dolores Hernandez and Tanya Martinez in our first multi-guest episode. 